As a leader in advanced HVAC technologies, Mitsubishi Electric is committed to continuous innovation around efficiency, comfort, and wellness, with a focus on personal comfort and prosperous communities. Mitsubishi offers a variety of indoor options, including high-wall floor mount, duct handlers, and extremely popular one-way ceiling cassette. Climate systems are great for a single room or the entire home, providing 100% capacity to minus 5 degrees. A full range of control options including Wi-Fi, touchscreen, and thermostats, and simple remotes are available to meet every customer's needs. Mitsubishi's regional sales and marketing teams are available to meet with you and help you grow your business. For more information, go to MitsubishiComfort.com. Art Edmonds is a TV host, spokesperson, and voiceover talent with over 17 years of experience. He is currently best known as the co-host of the TV show Military Makeover with Montel. Art, along with his host Montel Williams, give a complete home makeover to a deserving, wounded U.S. veteran. The show airs nationally on Lifetime. Welcome, Art. Good afternoon. Mark Madison here on Books and People. Today we have a very special guest, Mr. Art Edmonds. Art, how are you, sir? I am fantastic, Mark. Thanks for having me on your amazing program. Well, you're a TV host, you're a spokesperson, and you're a narrator. And I I met you because in Houston a few weeks ago because you were emceeing the Daikin Amana uh, event, and you did a phenomenal job. You know, I've emceed a fair bit, but I, I watched a true master at work. It was just a joy, and you were kind enough to to come on the podcast. So I got a bunch of questions for you. Sure. Where did you grow up? Uh, I was born and raised in Long Island, New York, Garden City, Long Island, to be specific. And uh, shortly after uh, junior college, moved to Florida, where I had, uh, you know, grandparents and whatnot. So I was familiar with the uh, Tampa Bay area, and I've bounced around Florida ever since. What was your childhood like? Uh, pretty average, uh, you know, suburban uh, kid into rock and roll in the 80s and uh, grew up playing the drums and uh, guitar and was always in a musical sort of uh, format, which I get, you know, asked quite a bit um, and how that translates into what I do now. And it's, it's very similar uh, working in television and uh, working as a narrator. Uh, a lot of what we do translates into how things work in a in a band uh as a mm. team and how um you know the subtleties of each person's role in the band uh for instance uh, translate very well into when you're on a tv set if i'm hosting a show like military makeover uh that i work with montel williams on you know um it, it's very similar as being you know maybe montel's the lead singer and i'm the uh i'm the backup singer with the guitar that keeps things moving uh, you know, so everybody's got their role uh, and it everything in life, I think, translates into musical uh, terms for me. Every single musician I've ever met was really good at improv because all that time on the stage, you learn to feed off each other. It's yes and observe, acknowledge and heighten, right? Exactly. And, and you learn to work with others very well. And that's why I think um, getting kids into music early on in their education is super beneficial. It was for me. Uh, I was never a great student, but if you put me in a, a music class and forced to learn to read music and learn to take direction and learn to not be the loudest one in the room when it's not your time, 
that translates a lot into life, don't you think? Absolutely. And it's really a function of empathy and, and listening to and waiting for the cues from other people. You, I'm, wait, I'm waiting for my cue right now, Mark. <laughs> and action. So yeah. you tell us about your education. You said you weren't really great at school, but you went to college, yes? Oh, yeah, I did uh, speech communication, and uh, did a, yeah, that was up in New York, and then a few years uh, down in uh, Florida, um, and basically learned what not to do, and, and took that. I, I was so uh, anxious to get out and actually work, and I hosted uh, a little music program, so that, that sort of started my, my tie-in between music and television. Uh, it was a little local music video show in the 90s, and I had the whole thing, the long hair and all that stuff, too. Thought I was going to go to MTV and all that good stuff. And, uh, you know, you end up uh, finding your way. And after yeah. many years of, you know, going on commercial auditions in Orlando and Miami and Tampa and all over the place uh, and doing every commercial Disney dad type role, you find out what you want to do. And I realized I'm better at being myself, uh, Art Edmonds, as a host rather than being an actor, becoming something else. So I never had aspirations to be, quote unquote, an actor. It was always to be a broadcaster. Um, right. You know, growing up, Dick Clark on American Bandstand. And then obviously a contemporary uh, Ryan Seacrest, uh, you know, in broadcasting and production and, and on the mic and on camera. That always interested me. So, you know, uh, one thing leads to another and you, and you find out what, what works for you. Process of elimination. Exactly. <laughs> what did your parents do? Um, both in, well, my mother was in retail. My father was in sales. So I don't know if that had anything to do with, uh, you know, my path, but I, oh, you know, yeah. I, it always had to be something creative. And, and what's funny, Mark, is, you know, they sit you down in the, uh, in the high school guidance counselor and um, you fill out all these questions. Yeah. And mine actually came out to be talk show host or game show host. And I was like, well, there you go. Uh, Myers Briggs, baby. Yeah, I've I've followed. I fulfilled my prophecy from high school. When I took the Myers Briggs, they said uh, we want you to be the PE coach for a blind kid and take the drama class. And I said, "What? I don't want to do either of those two things." Well, it turned out. I mean, fast forward, right? I'm a coach. I'm on a stage. Come on. Yeah, right? and and you're yeah you're performing, and I remember you talking about your background and how different things led you in different ways. So, yeah, I think, you know, it's important uh, to, to go with the flow. And, uh, you know, some people are so driven and have one goal uh, specific. For me, it was always what's going to fulfill me creatively and then right. find a way to make money at it. Right. And it's it's really the arts. That's what we're talking about, whether it's TV or music or public speaking, emceeing. You know, you have a you have a real fluency when you interact with people and you have what what we like to call a high Q rating. Right. You're likable. Well, ho yeah, hopefully. I mean, I, I think it's about uh, it's about uh, authenticity, too. And, right. um, you know, as a television host, you know, uh, people have a tendency to think that you're the center of attention, but it's really not that way. It's the opposite. It's it's right. not about you. I always say it's not about me. It's about whoever I'm speaking to on camera. If we're talking about the home makeover show, and again, I'd like to, to talk a little bit about that because that's important um, uh, for what we do, making over the homes for veterans and whatnot. Uh, and that's how I met Dykin. Uh, they were involved in the show as well, which is how I met mm -hmm. you. So, um, 
it's always about taking yourself out and just being a conduit for what's going on. So if I'm interviewing somebody, it's it's about them without putting them, making them feel like they're you know in the spotlight. It's about making them feel comfortable and being authentic. So if people right. feel comfortable, uh, you know, maybe it's less about being liked and just having people feel comfortable around you. When you got up and spoke at the Daikin conference, for example, I noticed the room was at ease. They weren't like, oh, I'm forced to listen to this guy who's who's putting on a show. Uh, right. you, you got up, you opened yourself up, you told some personal funny stories, some serious stories. And then it led to magically when they're at ease and you were authentic, it led to the message that you were right. trying to deliver. So right. that's that's what it's about for me. Uh, you know, one mouth and two ears for a reason, as they say. <laughs> God's a genius. <laughs> Well, I appreciate those kind words. Thank you. Uh, who are your mentors? Who are the people that really influenced you? I mean, obviously Montel, right? Well, yeah, and you know, uh, Montel Williams, to, to stand next to him for uh, almost five years. And and I'll talk about Arlie Ermey uh, for four years prior to the that. Gunny. Arlie, the Gunny. The uh, Gunny. 1987 full, full metal jacket, baby. Full metal jacket. And and I sat in an RV with him. He was older. And, uh, you know, the show was a different show at the time. So they were using his, you know, Gunny's mail call uh, format. Uh, and he was the drill sergeant. And I was sort of Gomer Pyle on that. You know, he was always looking for me, uh, that kind of thing. So there was a little more humor involved in it. But on a, on a personal level, to get to know somebody like that uh, and hear his stories and hear his path and hear how he said, you know, the movies put me on the map, but it, it opened up doors for everything else that he did. So uh, and it was all about his service, even though the Marine Corps retired him in whatever year, 1974. He just kept showing up, you know, in other ways for duty. And he said he with, never took his uniform off. He did not. Figuratively. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And uh, when he was ill at the end, his family, you know, and himself, even we were close. And uh, he said, keep this going somehow. And it was it was ironic because I used to say when he was having some health issues towards the end of his life and we was still working, uh, he'd fight through it. He, he would I would say, Gunny, you know, if we keep doing this, who would you want to see take over? And I mentioned Montel Williams because of Montel's military background and yeah, his 22 years background. in the Marines, first uh, African-American yeah. to graduate from the academy. Yeah, an amazing guy I was in submarines, uh, was translating Russian in the Cold War. Just so many stories that you could take from him. And people just remember him from, from his talk show, right? Uh, which which in and of itself was amazing. It's like again, 17 years. Yeah. yeah. And again, the, you know, uh, the, the African-American Phil Donahue, for that matter, you know, right. so he he broke ground and barriers, too. So to work now with him and uh, him and I are close on a personal level as as the, as well as the job we do. And we just finished another makeover uh, a week or so ago and and gave the keys over to a deserving army veteran who had traumatic brain injury from the Iraq war. And mm. to hear these stories, I, I'm in a place, Mark, where you professionally, where you never, I never knew it was going to take me here. Well, what's my connection to the military? I, I served, right. I served drinks in college. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, you know what I'm saying? So hey, hey like, I had a 3.0 in college blood alcohol level. So there you know, you, there I was you the go. guy so, drinking this drinks you were serving. There you go. So, you know, but that all takes you to somewhere. So uh, to where it is now and you and you learn these people's story and how they yeah. got out of high school and maybe they were young kids at 9-11 and they were inspired to serve. And, 
And then you hear the older generation who didn't get the respect from the Vietnam War and all that. So I'm, you know, I'm able to, to be a part of telling their story, which is right. really what uh, is valuable to me. I remember watching an interview with Harrison Ford. He said, I'm an assistant storyteller. Right. Well, as, and, as and an for actor, a guy as successful as he was to say that, and, and I was reading a little bit about Gunny and it, the, I guess the director said, no, he's too nice a guy. He's humble. He's self-abasing. He's kind. That That's not what we're looking for. But when you watch Full Metal Jacket, that's exactly how my, my drill sergeant was when I was in the Air Force. He was just like that guy. Right. Well, here's the thing. He was the technical advisor on that movie. And he kept saying, right. that's that's not the way we do it. That's not. <laughs> and, and here he is, you know, telling um, uh, who the, the director's name uh, escapes my, my mind right now. Um, but a major director, uh, you'll you'll know it. Somebody Google it. Uh, and he said, well, why don't you do it, Arlie? And he said, well, I'm not going to do it the way you have it written. And that whole scene, that whole walkthrough in the right. barracks was scripted and ad-libbed Stanley by Kubrick. Kubrick. Can you imagine on your first, he'd not done any films. Can you right. imagine telling Kubrick? Yeah. That sucks. He <laughs> was know? an icon at the time. That was one of his last films. Yeah. Right. And and it launched him, Apocalypse Now. Gunny's favorite thing, I could talk about Gunny on a whole other podcast, but his favorite thing, you know, was comedy. And, and when he got to play, I think it was in Fletch Lives, he played like a sleazy preacher or something. <laughs> he loved that. He loved yeah. the horror films on the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. We were pretty, a creepy uh, sheriff, you know. Right. And, he just uh, found the humor in those kind of things and um, and made it. And Full Metal Jacket could be played as a that role as dark comedy, too. Right. You know what I right. mean? So there was an undercurrent of 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 comedy in what Arlie uh, uh, did. And, you know, God rest him. He's uh, he's up in Arlington now with our other heroes. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, he, he ended up, you know, where he always wanted to be. And Vincent D'Onofrio, I think it was one of his first films, but he was the he was on the receiving end of he was uh, piled. his wrath. Yeah. yeah, oof, that was such an intense film, and I, I it just had such an impact on me at the time in 1987. So I was I think I was about 30 years old, and uh, wow, what a great film and what a debut! But you think this guy's whole life he was preparing for that role, you know, Gunny, his his whole life he's preparing for that role. There yeah, well, that, that's it. And, you know, he had his own share of uh, unseen wounds, PTSD from his service in the military as well. Right. So, right. Uh, yeah, and he liked to go out and, and perform and that helped him overcome it. Um, you know, I, I'm speaking in paraphrase of what I know of him. So, right. you know, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot more to it. What a gift, though, that you'd be able to spend some time with him. So when I say swamp men, what comes to mind? Oh, my gosh. That was uh, an amazing experience for me. That actually opened up the door from doing a commercial voiceover, you know, a lot of radio spots at the time and, and TV voiceover. Uh, a production company friend of mine was working on this show called, you know, it had a different name at the time. And uh, it was about these guys in the Everglades. Uh, let me just do a scratch for it. And then right. it ended up in the show. And we did three or four seasons of that. So that was a huge door opener for me that got me to the big uh, New York and Los Angeles voiceover agents and lots of other shows to follow for discovery and history. And, you know, all of those all of those channels, uh, Discovery Science, I did a bunch of series for them. So that sort of um, 
not over the top voice of God narrator uh, that sort of uh, just speaks to you and not at you became right. very popular. And, and I was in that in that wave, which I still National do. Geographic stuff in there, too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. This was not Geo Wild that, uh, right. that Swamp Man was on. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. So let me ask you this, since the title of this podcast is Mark Madison of Books and People, what books had an impact on you? You know, I would get my hands on as a kid, any sort of, I love, today I love documentaries on TV, but at the mm-hmm. time I loved biographies and autobiographies. And going back to the music thing, I could read about, you know, Led Zeppelin, Hammer of the Gods, or, you know, different books on different musicians of that era you know, the seventies and eighties. And, you know, uh, that really interested me because I felt like it was, um, it was a way of learning without being taught. You know, I was seeking out things I wanted to learn and I consider myself a wealth of useless knowledge uh, when it comes to, uh, (laughs) you know, I'm like, Oh, didn't, didn't you know that so-and-so really didn't play guitar on that? And the the producer did, and they wrote that people be like, how the hell do you know that? You know? And it's just from this, um, my love of music and then at the time was it was all about you know seeking out cool books uh that that told stories of you know recording a beatles album or life on the road with fleetwood mac or whatever was out you know what i mean yeah yeah yeah. Um, you know van halen's uh you know how they came from uh holland uh, the brothers and moved to pasadena california all of those books i love to get my hands on and now i have a stack of all these rock books that adorn my uh collection which is nice well and what you're really saying is it was a want to not a have to no teacher or professor was telling you to read it you read it on your own so you became a kind of an autodidact in that respect very much so you know i mean there were several teachers i had a spanish teacher in high school again he was a he was a jazz drummer and mm. i thought he was the coolest guy he was into <laughs> you know, uh yeah you know, all of these great jazz drummers at the time. And uh, that actually inspired me, you know, to get through Spanish and, and learn that. But um, to to talk to him after class in his office about all of these amazing drummers, Buddy Rich and all these guys that I used to uh, to listen to, which then in junior college, you can take an elective. And I took, you know, uh, the history of jazz. So that right. sort of got me into that. Not wasn't something that I was interested in, but that teacher in a way he didn't know inspired me to look into get away from rock and look into jazz because you made a connection with him personally exactly and that's what i think the best teachers and whatever they do in their professional environment or a mentor or anybody is to have that connection whether it's an acting coach or whomever you know a voice i've taken voiceover lessons and they become more than just how to interpret copy they become somebody to uh, like a guru you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. I read a book by Dr. Morton Cooper called Change Your Voice, Change Your Life. And it's obvious from what I know about from that book is the voice you use is your natural voice. Right. right. It, well, it's, it's the one yeah. that's pleasing to the ear, but it's also your natural voice. <laughs> it, it's well, you have to be able to if you're going to work in voiceovers, if we're talking about that specifically. Or if you're on stage, you wouldn't get up and do some big gravelly tone that wasn't you. How do you maintain that for 25 years on stage? Right. right? right. Uh, how do I step into a, a voiceover booth and try and do this? That's why it's amazing. These uh, cartoon voiceover guys 
they're able to create a character and do all this stuff and totally change their voice from what like they are. Mel Blank. Yeah, Mel Blank, or uh, who's the guys on The Simpsons and all those people. Oh, I know. It's absolutely amazing how they do that. You know, I have a hard enough time just trying to remember, you know, what was that high energy read I did for that infomercial last week? You know what I mean? So right, right, <laughs> you got to stick yeah. with something you're able to do over and over. For whatever reason, when I was a kid, I, I did a lot of mimicry, a lot of impressions, and it used to make people laugh. So I just kept doing it. And a few years ago, I finally surrendered to allowing myself to do those on stage. And they seem to work because I weave them into the context of the story, right? I'm not doing it to get a laugh per se, but I'm doing it to make the story more enjoyable. Right. You're you're doing you're doing the impersonation or the impression uh, in their voice to to complement your story. Right. And you know there, I think that that's there's a couple of guys out on on uh, YouTube and and Instagram. I forget the guy's name. There's a young guy right now. He does all the politicians. Uh, you know, and does all these amazing voices. He does Howard Stern's voice. Forget that he's a young guy. Um, wow. And like Rich Little, I remember that from the seventies. Oh, you yeah. know, growing up as a as a little kid and hearing all that, and like I loved to talk into a tape recorder and and do pretend voices. They didn't necessarily have to be a person. Uh, I would just make up a character and do that kind yeah. of thing. So. You know, or it always... could be a cartoon character. Heavens to Murgatroyd. I gotta go. I'll eat even. Exit <laughs> yeah. stage left. I'm a mountain lion. Exactly. And and how, you know, Mel Blanc, I mean, how did he come oh. up with all of that stuff, you know? Well, he would do cars and stuff, too. The engine sound, you know, it's just, he, uh, the man of a thousand voices, I think is what they called him. And he, what a genius. I mean, you know, just the ability to use it that way. Yeah, it's mm. definitely, uh, it's definitely an instrument. Again, really back is. to, uh, back to music. Right. Well, and everything count. I had a mentor say everything is comprehensive and integrated. He said, there isn't anything that doesn't matter. He said, it all counts. And I never thought that being a technician would ever serve me as a professional speaker until I was facilitating a conversation with a bunch of owners of large mechanical contractors in Chicago. And one of the guys pounds his fist on the table and says, we need charm school for our guys. And I thought, you mean people skills? He said, yes. I said, I could do that. You know, that was one of my gifts. It was my ability to interact with people as a technician. Yeah. Right. So, uh, you know, so customer service excellence was born and all of a sudden I had a new seminar. And if somebody was said, you know, you being a tech for 10 years is really going to serve, you know, your this career as a speaker going forward. I said, you're nuts. How would that help? But it does because everything matters. Well, and, it, and it's about being well-rounded too. getting back to, you know, letting you know, I equate everything in career and professional and in life to like filling your canoe with everything that you need. That's all your skills, right? Uh, what then, a great metaphor. And, yeah. and then just getting in the river and wherever that river is going to take you and you, you may end up on the shore every once in a while and, and beached and then you got to regroup and load your canoe with whatever you can find and learn the lesson, right? And then get back, get back on the water and let it flow down and it takes you where you eventually need to be. Yeah. I call that cash, knowledge, attitude, skills, and habits. I think we all need a little more of that cash, Mark. We really do. So uh, while I got you here, before we run out of time, what advice would you offer anyone that wants to get into television or get into narration or voiceover work or be well, a spokesperson? Yeah. yeah, let me start with the voiceover because uh, you can only imagine, you know, and I'm sure that you know, people come up to you and they see you, hey, 
how do I do what you do? You know what I mean? Right, so right. I get all the time, you know, I've been told I have a great voice. How do I get into voiceover? You know, I don't want to give up my, you know, six figure plus salary, but I, I'm not fulfilled in that. I just want to do this on the side. Well, and I, and I'm honest, I say, listen, it's not a side gig, right? Right. It's like anything else. If you, if it's not a hobby, if you want to do it as a hobby, that's great. But if you want to make money at it, you've got to train, you've got to buy the gear. You've got to know what's selling to market yourself. You've got to know where to go to market yourself. So I get that question all the time. My right. nephew is kind of lost right now, and but he's got a great, <laughs> he's got a great voice. And it's kind of like, you know, if I was a doctor and somebody's like, you know, I really feel like, you know, surgery is something I'd be really good at. How do I get in? You know, what I mean? like, right, right. It, it kind of degrades the, the profession when people think, hey, I could do that. Hey, if, hey, Art, you're kind of an idiot. How, and you make right. a living at it. How, how do I do what you do? Right. Um, so, it, and you know what they're really saying, Art? I want to do what you do without paying the price. Right. Now, yeah. before Google, you had to go and do your research. You know what I mean? And yeah. you, had to, you had to figure it out and find local classes. And if, if you didn't live in a big city, you had to go to a big city and do all that. Now, now it's more accessible. But yes, there are people that will tell you how to do it. But I find that the ones who are really successful in anything are the ones that have the passion to do it. Right. So, so that's it for voiceover, but it's the same for TV to, to when I ducked out of, um, you know, doing commercials and things like that and being on the, I call it the audition treadmill and the agents would call you and right. you, you put on whatever outfit and you, you comb your hair and you, oh, I'm, I'm the guy eating the sandwich today with the happy family. When you decide that, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to be me. I want to be a spokesperson, whether it's in an infomercial or on Home Shopping Network or, mm -hmm. you know, uh, some TV program that hardly anybody sees at two in the morning. You, you take all of these opportunities to prove yourself and you got to do it even when you don't feel like doing it. And that's dedication, obviously. Right. So you got to show up and showing up is, is half of it, as they say. But in television, it's it's a little bit of luck, a lot of luck, however you want to look at it, but it's a lot of hard work and right. you got to you got to always um, be prepared. So you never have to get ready for something if you're always ready for something. You Malcolm know? Gladwell said 10,000 hours or 10 years, whichever comes first. Right. And and if if you're you know, I do run into people that are like, you know, uh, I, I'm going to get I'm going to get back in shape when uh, this thing I've got three weeks to do it. But you never know. Like somebody could call you tomorrow. Hey, um, can you fly out here and be on this set? We need a host or whatever. You got to be ready to go. If you're going right. to call yourself a professional, you got to be ready. Uh, if we're talking about again in Daikin and the, the AC contractors and all that, that competitive industry. Uh, yeah. You know, I'll, I'll be out there next week. Well, you know what? Somebody else will be out there before you, you know? Right. So uh, you got to be prepared and professional. So it's, Acting and all of that stuff can be a wonderful creative hobby like painting or whatever. But if you want to do it as a professional, you got to be prepared to sacrifice and not get too high on the highs and not get too low on the lows and just oh, that's treat, so huge. I treat myself like a like a like a product. I'm marketing myself as the product and I'm also the salesperson. Right. I spoke at a writer's group because you know I've written eight books and they all of that. I got there early and I listened to a few people read their stories and 
they were better writers than me, all of them. And when it was my turn to talk, I just said, look, all of you write better than I do. But, but I said, I'm 10 times the marketer you are. I said, you know, I think it was Chet Baker. They asked him, are you a, are you a uh, musician who happens to play the trumpet? Or are you a trump, uh, singer who happens to play the trumpet or a trumpet player who happens to sing? He said, yes. And I love that quote because if, if you're not a sales and marketing person, you're not going to sell a lot of books. You're not going to get a lot of speaking gigs. And yeah, first it, and foremost, it, I'm a salesperson. And you're your, your own best advocate and, and agent. You know what I right. mean? And I'm right. sure I annoyed plenty of people, <laughs> plenty of producers by saying, hey, uh, I'm available this week. Hey, what you got going on? All right, we know. Okay, I got your demo last week again. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, yeah. But a little bit of that, um, you know, goes a long way. And I Well, it's unassertive salespeople have skinny kids, right? The old Zig Ziglar quote. Well, one last question, hey, Art. Before yeah, I let sorry, you go. I, 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 my internet ducked out uh, at the last second there. I forget. No worries. No worries. Yeah. We'll figure that out. Okay. So in closing, three things you need to remember to succeed in life. Uh, well, that, like I was saying, you're not entitled to anything. Um, you have to earn it. Um, you know, listen more than you speak. Mm. And I think um, always be ready because, you know, whatever that saying is that quoted about uh, luck is where preparation and hard work meet, you know, right. one of those kind of things. So if you're, if you're ready for the opportunities, uh, you never have to get ready for the opportunities. Oh, and, that's a great and insight. you know, I, I, I feel like, Hey, I'm ready to go. My bag's always packed and whatever I don't have, I'll buy it when I get there. Let's go. Right. Let's start. Let's start working. Let's go. You know what let's I mean? Do it. And, I do. and also be ready to, no matter what level you're at, um, you don't know it all. And I think uh, you should always still be a student of others yeah. and um, be ready to uh, take criticism. Uh, no matter if you've been doing it 20, 25 years, uh, like I have on camera and behind the mic, always be ready to be criticized and learn. Right. Be teachable. Yeah, exactly. To me, be, that's direct, be directable, be directable, directable. There we go. That's a better term. Yeah. And what's humility? It's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Right. And and it's about, you know, I, I just always say it's not about me. It's not yeah. about me. If I'm doing a convention, standing up on stage. Yes, I'm there because I'm the host and joining us is the host of military makeover to, to MC. But you know what? Yes, the eyes are on me, but it's about the event. It's about the people that brought me there. And it's about the people that I'm speaking to. And people pick up on that too. They, they, right. they can go, wow, this guy is just about himself. Or they can say, wow, he's here to make it interesting for me. Yeah, there's no ego there. Yeah. So if somebody wants to watch your show, how do they do? Is it on Lifetime? Yes, uh, Military Makeover is on Lifetime on Friday mornings. Uh, each family, we do four families a year. So each family is a season. It breaks into like four or five episodes. So we do anywhere from 16 to 20 episodes of the show a year. Uh, we do one family a quarter. We just wrapped one. We're about ready to do another one. We go all over the country. Uh, and we're heading up to Boston in June to do our next family. They're all deserving. And again, if you don't know Military Makeover, militarymakeover.tv is our website. Uh, all of our social and YouTube channels, they have all clips of the show. Um, and then full episodes. And on the final episode, we bring the family home. 
uh, to their newly remodeled home. And I often say the paint is still wet because we do these um, mm. we do these makeovers in real time and we film them over a course of 10 or 12 days. And mm. uh, on this last episode, uh, the Mitchell family, fantastic army uh, veteran who had a traumatic brain injury. He's a young guy, cool family. Um, and we sent them to a hockey game up in a helicopter. They were honored at the American Legion. So mm. we send them a, a bunch of surprises along the way. Plus, we have a great designer on our show, Jennifer Bertrand, who won HGTV Design Star Season 1 or 2, I believe. And she works with our construction team. All of these volunteers, and Mark, if I can just get on my soapbox for one second, all of these volunteers come and volunteer for somebody that they don't know. They we don't care what your political beliefs are, your religious beliefs, uh, mm. any any of that or what your favorite sports team are. We're there for a reason and a purpose as Americans. Right. And imagine if we could do that on a national level where we're not just fighting for our side, but we're right. fighting for our country. Right. Um, you know, the divisiveness and the, hypocr you know, the hypocrisy and all that, it's got to come to an end sooner or later. And I think that we show that. You know, these folks who have sacrificed, they didn't care how you voted in the last election or right, over the course right. of your life. They were defending all of us. And, um, you know, it shows when these guys come home and these men and women come home and the veterans that help them, they don't know them. One guy's an electrician. He donates his time. Painter donates his time. Right. So uh, it's about doing something great for somebody else. That's it's bigger than yourself. Art. There's a place in heaven for you, my friend. Thank you so much for making the time to talk to us today. As a leader in advanced HVC technologies, Mitsubishi Electric is committed to continuous innovation around efficiency, comfort, and wellness. From electric cars to electric water heaters to electric heating and cooling, the future is electric. The demand for all of our electric heat pumps have never been greater. So there's no better time to join our community of premier contractors and grow your business. Here are some of the reasons why partnering with Mitsubishi Electric is a great idea. Mitsubishi is the number one selling heat pump in America and has been the industry leader for over 35 years. Mitsubishi offers local technical support and has a network of excellent distributors. Mitsubishi's regional sales and marketing teams are available to meet with you and help you grow your business. To find out more, contact MitsubishiComfort.com. Thank you for listening. If I struck a chord, inspire you to action, or piqued your curiosity, let me know. Call or text me at 206-697-0454 or send me an email at mark at sparkingsuccess.net. Should you wish to hire me to speak to your organization or association or order one of my books, simply go to my website, www.sparkingsuccess.net. And remember, make it a great day unless you have other plans.